Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we focus on metals, mining, and more. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Our show includes two special guests joining us today. Bob Moriarty, the founder of 321Gold and 321Energy.com, and Kevin McManus, the founder of the Van Orm Report. Today, we will discuss the last big thing and the next big thing. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Yeah, great to be here, Maurice. Gentlemen, we have a lot of ground to cover for our audience, so let's get started. First topic, Bitcoin. Is it the next big thing or the last big thing? Bob, I'd like to begin with you, sir. But before you answer, can you share with us the most important book you found on investing and how it applies for today's discussion? Uh, that would have to be Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And I have never met a successful investor who has not read the book. But I, 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 I need to inter interject this. Uh, your spelling it's bad. Where's that, sir? Well, you said Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin. It's Bitcon. B-I-T-C-O-N. Oh. You missed <laughs> You know, I, I, give me my leg back. You're pulling my leg here, sir. <laughs> Quick as a whip you are. <laughs> Carry on, sir, with Bitcon. Okay. When I was, uh, let's see, when I was 22, I was in Vietnam, I was flying the F-4, and they wanted to put me into a ground fact job, running around on the ground carrying a rifle. And I was smart enough to realize that I really didn't want to do that. So I got myself transferred into the Bird Dog, a forward air control aircraft, single engine Cessna, high wing. And we controlled all the artillery strikes and airstrikes and naval gunfire uh, in Northern I Corps. Now, because I had flown tail dragger aircraft, uh, prop driven tail dragger aircraft, they, they made me the training officer because all the other guys were A4 pilots or F4 pilots or H6 pilots. They were all jet jocks. So I had to do the training. And, and, and we would go up, and I would teach them how to fly the airplane, and I would teach them how to land. And one of the most important things was teach them how to navigate. And, and strange enough, navigating uh, with a map and just looking around, it's very easy to do. What you do is you look at the most obvious thing you can whether it's a railroad track, whether it's an eight-lane highway, whether it's the ocean, whether it's a river, whether it's city, look around you 360 degrees and find the most obvious feature you can and then orient yourself from that. And that's what investors need to do. They need to ask themselves the right question. And the right question about Bitcoin, and if you answer the correct the, the question correctly, you will make money in investing is of the 1,503 variations of Bitcoin, how many will survive? And that's a great question for our audience. And Bob, if you would also share with us, with regards to Bitcoin, as we know it as a currency, what causes the price to go up and the price to go down versus your traditional currency, the U.S. dollar? Canadian dollar. Well, it's not currency. It's an electronic beanie baby. 
it, it was formed to give people a handy way of buying illegal drugs and cheating on their taxes. And I think that's a great idea, okay? And I can see that being very successful. However, uh, it, it turned into this fear of missing out, you know? Uh, I, I went down to McDonald's and I got this Beanie Baby and it cost me $4.99 for a, a meal and the Beanie Babies were $2,000. Uh, Bitcoin is an electronic Beanie Baby. That's all it is. It's not a currency. I would agree with you. I just wanted to get your response on that, sir. So just to clarify, it is not the next big thing or is it the last big thing? Oh, it's the last big thing. It was the last big thing. It topped in December. Uh, one of the guys who, who called it very accurately was Clyde Mond. Another guy that called it very accurately was Peak Prosperity, uh, Chris Martinson. And and I did, I, I think I did an interview with you, but I did two or three interviews all at the same time. It said it's a top and it's a bubble and it's going to crash. And the amazing thing is three months later, a lot of people still don't realize it's a crash, and they're not going to until it's down 90%, and then they'll figure it out. But it's the last big thing, not the next big thing. All right, Kevin, the Van Orm Report analyzes markets and trends. What does the Van Orm Report suggest about Bitcoin or Bitcoin? Well, I, I, Bob's bang on about a lot of things. <clears throat> you know, I, when it comes to I mean, we'll call them exchange assets if we don't want to call them currencies. But you know, what, what puts a floor under the the price of these types of things is ultimately their use case and and the demand that they're the demand that exists for actually using it in day to day transactions. So, you know, take the U.S. dollar for example. You know, one of the primary support structures for the U.S. dollar has always been the global energy trade, and you know, up until very recently. Uh, countries that wanted to transact in oil internationally had to do so using U.S. dollars because of the security arrangement that uh, the U.S. made with the Kingdom of Saud back in the 70s. You know, and that's created a lot of demand for U.S. dollars that otherwise wouldn't exist. So it's, you know, something similar also exists with cryptocurrencies. It's no different, at least in the long term. Uh, you know, like Bob said, we're, you know, we're past the mania phase. And I think a lot of what was driving that was was the fear of missing out. But now we're moving into the reality phase of these things where the value proposition of the assets is, is ultimately going to be tested. And, you know, the, the price that the market assigns to it is going to be dependent on how people ultimately want to use it and in the volumes that they want to use it in the future. Uh, you know, Bob pointed out that a lot of these currencies have already have already crashed. Uh, you know, 46% of last year's ICOs or initial coin offerings have already failed. Uh, and an additional 13% are what they call semi-failed, which means that the, the team has stopped communicating or it's a fraud or, uh, you know, the probability of success has been registered close to zero by the community. So that's that's 59%, basically 69% of last year's ICOs um, have already vanished with uh, with investors' money. I, I, I think that number is probably going to get close to 90, 95, maybe even 99% uh, by, by 2018. I mean, that's just the law of disproportionate. That's Credo's principle at work. So we're going to see the same thing play with the cryptocurrency space. Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin could go to zero, you know, without a major change in the total cryptocurrency market cap. I mean, although that's unlikely. 
But I think Bitcoin ultimately will be the victim of creative destruction over time as, as people realize more valuable use cases. And you take something like Ethereum. Um, Ethereum is ultimately a currency that the, the validators in the network get paid uh, to actually verify the, the transactions that are undergone on the smart contract system. So there's there's somewhat tangible value there. You know, I was reading this morning that in um, I think it was Tennessee, they uh, they just they just underwent their first blockchain uh, real estate transaction, and uh, you know that's that's a trend that you're going to see to continue. And that's ultimately, you know, the long-term use case of the blockchain network is, you know, removing a lot of the friction involved in transactional processes and assets, no matter what they are. And the people that are actually validating those transactions, they're going to get paid in something. And what they're getting paid in is the cryptocurrencies that are on those networks. So that, that real estate transaction that took place in the U.S. was the first one. Um, that was settled in Ethereum because uh, the people that have to approve the transaction, they, they run computers and that's the fee that they charge so ethereum is is going to have this floor under it on floor under the price it's proportional to how, how much um transactions are being validated on that network and you know is bitcoin going to be propped up by the same phenomenon i don't know i i i don't see it i think there's a lot of overhang and and uh, technologically in the bitcoin space so i think people are going to figure out better ways uh, of using the networks and uh, i think i think Bitcoin could become like the price.com of, of the bubble era that we're in in cryptocurrencies. You know, Kevin, you referenced blockchain and some confuse it with cryptocurrencies and or Bitcoin. What is the difference? Well, Bitcoin is a use case of the blockchain network. And, um, you know, the so-called miners, you know, they, they, they call them miners. All these people are doing is they're validating transactions that are happening on, on the block or the blockchain. You know, every time there's a change, every time somebody alters it, every time somebody wants to make a transaction with another person, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the blockchain is that it's immutable and it's this permanent record in time. But it requires a lot of computing power to um, actually alter those. You know, you, you can think about, uh, if, have you guys ever used shared spreadsheets before online? Error. You know, it's like, imagine using a shared spreadsheet online uh, you know, but with a million people and everybody's trying to edit it at once. You know, that, that's basically akin to what the blockchain is, at, at least with Bitcoin. You know, and you can obviously imagine there's technological problems with that, you know, with, with keeping up with all the changes. And people are discovering different ways of doing that. You know, they're breaking off blockchains into parallel versions so that they run faster. You know, it, it, it's an evolving technology. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a money the extent to which these cryptocurrencies are going to have value is ultimately going to depend on uh, how valuable the use case is and and what kind of compensation the people validating the network are demanding. So we'll see that unfold over time. You know, I think I think Bob's bang on with the Bitcoin price. You know, we, I think we saw a counter trend rally. Uh, I actually did some trend analysis with uh, my machine learning system in Van Orem, and it, it's indicated. I, I think quite. Obviously, that you know you don't need a machine learning system to tell you this. It's in the downtrend, and I, I think we had a, a bit of a counter trend snapback rally, which was expected. You know, it, it might even surprise people and go it a little higher. I mean, I, I, I think the maximum it could go right now is fourteen thousand, but I think ultimately it's uh, it's going to it's going to round trip and and end up. My long term forecast for it over the next few years is about two hundred and fifty dollars. 
Now, Bob, I have a question for you in reference to blockchain, but before that, Kevin, talk to us about a capital vortex and how it applies to today's discussion. Well, yeah, capital vortex, you see these things from time to time in history, and it's, it's, it's really something that this captures the imagination of people. You know, Bob pointed out the book, uh, Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Uh, a lot of the instances discussed in that book you know, can be thought of as capital vortexes. You know, even the South Sea bubble was in itself a bit of a capital vortex. That opened up a lot of trade and interest over to the Americas. Um, you know, and whenever you have these capital vortexes, there's tons of infrastructure and intellectual energy that pours into a very specific space. And no matter how wasteful it might seem at the time, there's always something useful that survives coming out the other end. And, you know, with the blockchain, you know, we're seeing this tremendous amount of uh, mining or validation infrastructure being built. You know, there's, there's people repurposing uh, old actual physical mining infrastructure in Canada to build Bitcoin mining infrastructure, or cryptocurrency mining infrastructure. And, and so you have this huge validation network is being constructed. There's lots of intellectual capital pouring into it. And at the end of the day, somebody's going to figure out a really, really, really smart and profitable and effective way of using all this infrastructure that's built. Uh, do I know what it is right now? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna claim that I do. But somebody's gonna figure it out. You know, just in the same way that Google and Facebook, you know, figured out how to use the very foundations of the internet, you know, to add tremendous amounts of value. Uh, somebody's gonna figure it out to use the blockchain network to add a tremendous amount of value in the future as well. It's just uh, just a matter of time. So, just for the record here, blockchain, you foresee it as being the next big thing. Uh, blockchain is it's it's one of those transformational technologies I think that's that's going to really really uh, lubricate the transactional processes of the economy as a whole. I mean, it's I, I wouldn't call it the new internet. I mean, I think it's it, it's it's an iteration built on top of the internet as a platform, and I think it's ultimately just what what it's doing is it, it's allowing us to most effectively use the infrastructure of the internet that we've already built so it's it's another use case for the internet and the spare capacity that exists floating around and you know people looked at it and basically said okay we've got this massive network globally uh, maybe we can use it to validate transactions without any third parties and you know now you've got the blockchain and it's a great idea and it's going to grow from there um, I, I I think at the time the internet was created I mean that was that was really the next big thing. I think blockchain is more of a uh, evolutionary uh, a step, more than a revolutionary step. But I mean, that's semantics. You can argue it either way. All right, Bob. Do you see blockchain as the next big thing or something else? I think <clears throat> that he used a very good term there, that it's evolutionary rather than revolutionary. Uh, blockchain's actually been around for 10 years and nobody has figured out a real use for it that generates value yet. Uh, somebody told me, well, you can do a transfer to Tokyo in a matter of seconds, it costs almost nothing. And I said, well, I can do that right now. I can do a transfer of any amount to Tokyo. It takes seconds, and it costs me 25 bucks. So what are you going to do? You're going to save me 25 bucks. Uh, I, I think that, well, here's what I know. I know it's the biggest bubble 
in financial history, it got up to about $800 billion. And I think about mm, probably $750 billion it's going to go to Bitcoin heaven. Uh, it was a bubble. It has burst. It will crash. Something valuable will come out of it. But we don't know it. I mean, you're not old enough to remember it. The first calculator was called the Bomar Brain. And I think he spent 500 bucks for a little four-function calculator. And now they give four-function calculators away in Cheerios boxes because the calculator is cheaper than the Cheerios. Uh, things change. Uh, once upon a time, Radio Shack made the Trash 80, the TRS 80 computer. <laughs> and of course, Radio Shack has gone to, to Bitcoin heaven. Things change. Uh, they improve. Creative destruction means you need to burn your business down once a year and reinvent it. I'm not sure what the next big thing is. I just know there will be a next big thing. But we know that Bitcoin is not the next big thing. No, it's the last big thing. All right. Switching gears. Gentlemen, a large segment of our audience are active buyers of precious metals. And I would like to remind our listeners that I'm a precious metals representative of Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. We reference extraordinary popular delusions, but a book equally important, which is a book you authored, Bob, Nobody Knows Anything, which can be found on our education tab at provenimprobable.com, is germane to our discussion today. I reference Nobody Knows Anything because it fundamentally changed my ideology to acquiring precious metals. I have shifted my focus from worrying about manipulation and a currency crash and more onto ratios and trading between the metals. Bob, can you share your views on manipulation and how you apply the ratios between the metals? Well, there are two totally different subjects. First of all, all financial markets are manipulated. It's meaningless. We know governments manipulate currencies. We know they manipulate uh, the stock market. We know they uh, manipulate interest rates. We don't care because it's part of life. We know that sun rises in the morning in the east, but you, you don't. Your life doesn't revolve around that. So when guys run around saying gold and silver are manipulated, they're telling you the truth, but they're not giving you any information. Yeah, they're manipulated. So what? Live with it. Uh, going back to ratios, the the concept of the book is. Things are a lot more simple than people believe. And if you'll do things in a simple way, you can make a lot of money. Now, the best ratio trade that I can think of right now would be the gold-silver trade. I wrote the book two years ago, and I talked about when silver gets above 80 to 1, 80 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold, you should buy silver and sell gold. Uh, you should always buy what's cheap and sell what's dear. Right now, in comparison to silver, gold is expensive, and silver is cheap in comparison to gold. And you need not make it any more complicated than that. That's a trade that's been very successful. It might last for a year or two, but it's been successful every time people have gotten into it. And those kind of trades you want. Everybody wants something. I want to go buy something that doubles tomorrow. That was the attraction to Bitcoin. Well, uh, 
a lot of money went to Bitcoin heaven. Okay, the silver gold trade, people are going to make money and they're going to keep the money. Now, Bob, do precious metals fit into the narrative of the next big thing or the last big thing? Uh, It's an interesting question, and it's not a question I can answer. I don't look at uh, gold and silver as a religion. I don't worship them. I don't pray to them. I don't hope for $50,000 gold or $5,000 silver because I'm not sure I would want to live in a world with $50,000 gold. But one of the functions of gold and silver is to act as an insurance policy. Anyone who is nervous of banks or the economy or the stock market or currencies certainly should consider an insurance policy. And gold, silver, platinum, and rhodium, and palladium have served as insurance policies for a lot of years and, and successful insurance policies. Kevin, how does the Van Orm Report view precious metals as a whole with today's discussion? Yeah, so one of the things we do at Van Orm, just for the sake of your listeners, Van Orm is it's an artificial intelligence-based financial research engine that I've built from the ground up. And I, I use it to identify, you know, statistically significant trends and indicators that have been significant in the past. And I look at ways of applying those forward to, you know, making good investment decisions, hopefully. You know, so one of the things we do there is, uh, you know, for each asset class that we cover, we try to we try to determine um, what the best indicator of primary trend is. And I think our I think our gold trend indicator is excellent. And right now it's showing gold as in a primary uptrend. Uh, that indicator has switched 19 times since 1970. So it, it's a slow moving indicator. Right now it's indicating a primary uptrend. I happen to believe that. Uh, it's it's going to be difficult for the U.S. dollar to gain any relative strength, you know, with the overhang of just the enormous deficits uh, that are being pumped out, uh, the trade war we've got going on, and the unsustainable debt situation. I, I, I can't imagine a situation with all those three things uh, basically hitting right now that the U.S. dollar is going to you know, mount any kind of sustainable rally over the next one, three, five, even ten years. So that's going to be a primary tailwind for gold going forward, and ultimately until there's a new international monetary system that um, emerges globally. I don't know what that's going to be, but things need to change. Right now, there's there's so much um, excess froth and um, undergrowth that's built up in the system that needs to be burned out. And I think until that happens, gold is going to be an excellent, like Bob said, gold's going to be an excellent insurance policy for those people that are nervous. Uh, we're not showing an, a primary uptrend in silver yet. Uh, that being said, you know Bob pointed out the gold-silver ratio being above 80. We sent out some research to our members last week on that, and almost across every time frame historically, you know, there's statistically significant uh, cumulative excess returns on silver over gold, and, and silver silver over its mean historical returns when the ratio is above this level. So, yeah. Like Bob said, I had some members message me and ask me how I know, you know, that silver's not going to fall further. And the, the answer is that I don't. But um, like Bob has pointed out in his, you know, in his book and on the show, you buy things as an investor. You want to buy things when they're cheap. Uh, you know, could, they, could silver fall another 20, 30 percent? Of course. Uh, but 
it'll just be even cheaper. It's cheap right now. It'll be cheaper if it falls further. Cheap relative to gold. Uh, so, you know, th- those are the type of things that I think you want to make long-term investments in. So, although silver is not showing an uptrend in our system yet, I am an active accumulator of silver and silver assets, just for the record. And, um, yeah. All right. Now, gentlemen, I'm sure our audience would enjoy if you would share your thoughts on each of the big five, respectively, in this order. You've, you've hinted on all of them. Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium, because we all have our favorites. Kevin, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah, gold. Um, gold showing a lot of relative strength. Uh, you know, even over the last decade with respect to the S&P 500, <clears throat> it's outperforming commodities as a whole. Yeah. It's outperforming pretty much, uh, you know, every major asset class you know, on a relative basis. We're showing a lot of relative strength anyway. Um, I like gold going forward, and I wouldn't think of not owning it, given the fiscal situation that's overhanging the world globally. Uh, silver, uh, you know, last week we had our first, uh, silver speculators were short about 1,500 contracts last week. That was the first time in 15 years that happened. So the last time we were net short in silver contracts was in April 2003. And um, when that occurred, the price rallied almost 100% in the following 12 months. Uh, Combined with that, you've got the gold-silver ratio, where historically you get um, statistically significant outperformance in silver. So I like silver a lot right now. I like silver-related assets. They're cheap. Nobody's talking about it. You know, if, if you talk about buying silver at, you know, dinner parties or amongst your friends, you know, people raise an eyebrow. Everybody always wants to bring up Bitcoin. Those are the types of things I like to buy. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a major expert on palladium, rhodium, or platinum. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, is that, you know, as time goes on, uh, society advances and improvements in technology produce economies of scale uh, that have larger impacts on some goods than others. So when you're analyzing the ratios of these things, uh, it's important not to view it as a static system historically. So commodities as a whole are, I think, are incredibly undervalued with respect to basically everything. I mean, financial assets relative to real assets as a whole are tremendously overvalued. At least some of that under uh, overvaluation can be explained uh, by the shift, the shift in the makeup of the world's top companies. So the top companies in the S&P 500, for example, I mean, these aren't industrial companies anymore. These are technology companies that are leveraging software and digital technologies you know, to use. Uh, uh, they're earning more dollar per unit of commodity input than they were in, say, the 70s or 80s. So, you would expect the ratio of the S&P 500 to commodities to rise over time. But I think that only explains a bit of it. I think the rest of that outperformance and the part that matters for investors can be explained by the direct or indirect impacts of central bank asset purchases that have been going on, uh, you know, pretty much almost for a decade. And from a, a game theory perspective, right now there are very few actions that central banks can take today that won't result in an acceleration in inflation and a revaluation of that ratio of financial assets to real assets. So I think investors need to position themselves on the right side of that. Bob, share your thoughts on the big five with us. Okay. Ignore price and only focus on the relative value. The, the cheapest of the five is silver. And the way to measure that, it's against gold or against platinum or palladium. 
and silver's the cheapest. The next cheapest is platinum. Uh, palladium has actually gone to a premium over platinum, but from a catalytic converter point of view, pl uh, platinum is more valuable than palladium because it's denser. Uh, I, I, I see palladium dropping and platinum increasing. A platinum-palladium spread would be a very good spread. You buy the cheap commodity of platinum and you sell the expensive commodity, which is palladium. Rhodium is interesting because as of two or three years ago, you can actually buy rhodium now in bar form. Uh, bared bars are, are one ounce rhodium uh, bars, and I bought a bunch of them. Uh, rhodium actually got down to about $600 an ounce two years ago. At $600 an ounce, it was very, very cheap and it's climbed substantially. It's gone up more than any of the other five, and it's about $1,700. But rhodium is a tiny, tiny market compared to any of the other four. So rhodium has potential to explode higher. It's not cheap anymore, but it could get a lot more expensive than it is. And I want to just remind our listeners that uh, Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments, we do sell the one-ounce rhodium bars. They are not on our website, but if you contact me directly, we can facilitate that transaction for you. Gentlemen, before we close, I want to ask you, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? Kevin? <laughs> I don't know. My, my dog barking at uh, strange sounds at night is, is usually what's waking me up. But, um, you know, it's, the world is dynamic and you know, you, you can choose to be negative on things or you can choose to be positive. There's there's a good and bad to everything, you know, and with every major problem, there's also a really, really major uh, investment opportunity if, if people are just observant. But, you know, one thing that does concern me is, is and I, I can't believe the lack of airtime that gets. It's getting more airtime in the mainstream news now, but um, it's the debt situation in the world and the level of malinvestment that's come over the last decade from suppressed interest rates. It's um, debt has exploded, you know, almost almost relative to everything. Debt to GDP levels globally are at levels that historically have been precursors to to major global conflicts. And you know, this happens because as debt grows, you know, especially internationally, you you inevitably get more and more tension between creditors and debtors, and eventually those tensions start to flare up. Uh, you know, we're seeing that now with Trump's trade war. Uh, you know, and China seemed to be the major target of that. You know, and if you look at every major conflict in history, the main one of the main precursors to all of them has been a cessation of trade or the absence of trade. And the difference today, you know, like we were talking about before the show started, is that the world is much more interconnected now than it's ever been. I mean, you've got a really, really granular division of labor, <clears throat> and. and any major disruption to global trade right now is going to have commensurately higher consequences than it did, you know, say 30, 40, 50 years ago when, you know, a lot of the production was more domestic than it is today instead of international. So if there's one thing that keeps me up, uh, I would have to say that it, it's it's the seeming unwillingness of governments right now to, to face the, you know, the stark reality of the fiscal situation. and. Because there's no politically expedient way to deal with the debt levels and the fiscal overhang, unfortunately, I think the solution is going to be forced upon us by the market, and, and uh, that's 
I, I don't see that turning out well, at least in the short term. Bob, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about, sir? Well, it's really interesting that you asked that question. I'm glad you asked Kevin first. It's actually Kevin's dog that keeps me up. The damn dog barks all night long. If he doesn't shut that dog up, I'm going to go shoot it. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, Kevin. You just kind of opened yourself up for that. Uh, here's what scares me. It doesn't keep me up at night. I sleep like a baby. Uh, we have an ongoing coup d'etat against the President of the United States. And while I think that in many aspects Donald Trump is a blithering idiot, he's not nearly as crooked as Hillary Clinton was. The, the deep state has declared a war against Trump it is an absolute coup d'etat. They're doing illegal things. Uh, it's, it's obvious. The whole Russian thing is a big, fat nothing burger. The CIA, the Department of Justice, the FBI, the mainstream media is trying to overthrow the president of the United States. <clears throat> I don't think for a minute that just because I didn't like Trump that that I'm in favor of the coup d'etat. I, I didn't like Bush. I didn't like Obama. I think that we're getting the kind of leadership that you get at end of empire. But the one thing that I could say is coup d'etats always end badly. They're unpredictable. When 91% of the media reports about Trump are negative, you've got a very scary situation going on uh, that that's going to be the big surprise something very bad is going to happen I don't know what it's going to be gentlemen last question what did I forget to ask Kevin the floor is yours uh, I don't know I think, I think we covered a lot here today it's a pretty good discussion actually Fair enough, sir. Bob, the floor is yours, sir. Well, I can't believe that Kevin missed this. And I'm going to take some of the credit for getting attention to Kevin. I stumbled across something he, he wrote months ago, and I thought, hey, wait a minute. This guy is absolutely brilliant. He's approaching things from a different point of view, and what he's doing is very valuable. And, and I want to say it's not because I agree with him on everything or even anything, but what we have missed is the next big thing is probably artificial intelligence, and he is using that in, in a financially valuable way. He's an early adopter, uh, and, and artificial intelligence is one of those things it's like a hand grenade. It, it can be very dangerous in the wrong hands. So I, I'm thrilled. Uh, I, I've told a lot of people about Kevin and about his website. I, I know he's going to succeed, and I know he's a very valuable co uh, con contributor to the financial market. But that, that's what we missed. I mean, it's right there in front of us, and we all missed it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Mr. McManus, you're the new kid on the block for our listeners. Tell us more about your services and the contact details. Yeah, so like what Bob was saying, um, you know, I, my passion is artificial intelligence and finance. And, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm not much of an expert uh, in anything. I mean, the markets are so complicated. It's so dynamic. I mean, I use artificial intelligence, you know, in conjunction with some of my own financial research in an attempt to filter out the noise out of the market and try to surface, you know, as close to a pure signal as you can get, which is, you know, really difficult. Um, it's not a crystal ball, but artificial intelligence is really, really powerful at just eliminating 99% of, of the junk and the bad signals and everything else that it comes with technical analysis and other information, you know, and just tries to leave you with the most actionable signals possible. Um, and, you know, that changes all the time. The market is dynamic and, you know, it's really challenging applying artificial intelligence to the markets, but, uh, you know, we've had some success with it. So, Bob, I appreciate uh, the, the kind words there. People can visit the site. It's www.vanorum.ca. That's uh, V-A-N like Vancouver and Orum like the Latin word for gold. And yeah, you know, artificial intelligence is a whole other conversation. Maybe we can have another podcast about that. But um, it's, certainly, it's, it's it's actually mind-boggling what's uh, what's happening in AI right now. And you know, I follow a lot of artificial intelligence blogs, and yeah, I think uh, Bob's right. I, I I think AI is something that's going to sideswipe majority of the world. It's coming so fast, but that's a conversation for another day for sure. And for our listeners, to get more information on Bob Moriarty and his work, please visit www.321gold and 321energy.com. We want to remind our listeners, for all of your precious metals investment needs, please visit www.milesfranklin.com or email me directly for a consultation, maurice at milesfranklin.com. You may reach me at 919-274-5680. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for your time today and for everyone listening. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.